Today's Tuesday, July 23rd, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. The Orioles win a series and some former birds get their call to the hall. Lamar Jackson throwing strikes in the orange and black. Some sharp-dressed Terps get their TV time at Big Ten Media Day. And the bipolar NFL can't make up their minds in this week's Good, Bad, and Ugly. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. When excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. Yes, yes. You did a good job with that last week. I'll give yeah, you credit on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's up, BSers and Playmakers? We got the the OGs, the real crew in the house tonight. Fred, Scott, and Brian. As Scott is back from saving puppies. I am. And Brian, we're not talking about original gamers. We're talking about original gangsters. Just so yeah, you know. Jesus. Uh, I forgot he's a good. gamer. God. Yeah, he's a gamer, so it kind of fills <laughs> in right, on Grand that Grand Theft sense. Auto <laughs> reference over there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, man, we got a lot to talk about on the show tonight. Uh, the Orioles win a series. Finally! Right. Again! Yay! And some former birds get the call to the hall. Some guys that uh, we all kind of grew up idolizing, grew up watching. So we'll talk about that. Lamar Jackson, dressed in the orange and black and throwing strikes. A little weird, but cool. Kind of cool. Kind of cool to see that he uh, actually threw the ball over the plate. Yeah, I would have been pissed if he didn't. <laughs> and some sharp-dressed terps. <laughs> a tongue twister if I've ever said one. Get their TV time at Big Ten Media Day. We got a lot to cover, but before we do too much, we want to remind you guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell a home and you want somebody to go to bat for you, call our guy John Sheffenacher over at Redfin. He's a Redfin agent. John's been in the business for four years now and is dedicated to getting you the best deal possible. He's always available to take your call anytime, day or night. For your Oriole fans out there, you may remember him. I'm not going to say you may know him because he's not there much anymore, but you may remember him (laughs) as the sunglass guy sitting behind the dugout at Camden Yards. There you go, Ryan. Give your guy John a call today, 443-604-6298. Yeah, man, he's a a family man now, and he is keeping busy with these Redfin listings. I tell you what, man, make sure if you are using, using a realtor right now, make sure they're doing everything that they can to take care of you because that's really what John does. And if they're not called John ASAP, he takes care of you not only before the process when you're just kind of getting to know him, he's during the process, he'll take care of you anytime. You've heard me say it. We called him while he's on vacation. How many of us want to be bothered while we're on vacation? Not me. I know I don't want to be. I don't know. But John was willing to be bothered on vacation, and he was happy to get us into the house we want to see. We wanted to buy in it, and then takes care of us afterwards with all these client events, the pies. You know, or hopefully Ryan can that house goes back on the market for him. He can get a pie later this pie. year. He wants some pie, man. <laughs> But make sure if you're in the market to buy or sell your home in the Maryland, Delaware, Virginia area, make sure you give a John a call today, 443-604-6298, or hit him up on his Gmail at johnsheffa at gmail.com. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-E-F-F-A at gmail.com. And don't forget to let him know, Berlin BS was the one that sent you. All right, Scott, it's time for some bros, bows, and o's, and we can actually... 
talk about some exciting news. They, they've been playing a little bit better baseball as it of has. late. Uh, last night didn't end well for the birds, but let's talk a little bit about this weekend. Uh, a hot weekend. A very, very hot weekend. My balls were sweaty. Yeah, I was sweating in places I shouldn't talk about on the air. Jesus. Yeah, it's a mudslide and everything. It's just nasty. <laughs> and we just get demonetized. <laughs> But now the Orioles played very well over the weekend as they end up winning a series. They've actually won nine of their last 18. I know that doesn't sound great, but at this point in the year, when you're playing, what, 29% baseball at this point, your win percentage, <laughs> to finish a, you know, a stretch of 18 games, 500, that's an improvement. Yeah, you got you to gotta make sure that you're improving throughout the entire season, regardless of how the season starts, how it ends. You got to make sure you're making advancements. You know, I didn't get to talk about it last week, but the the fact that you know Cashner goes, I was a little uh, a little pissed off on that. But I do think I, I have to give my theory here. I think there's a handshake agreement behind closed doors with Cashner to come back next year. He's you're free agent such at the end a of the year. Homer. No, he's a free agent you're at the end of the year. Wishful thinking. I'm not a homer. Friend. I'm a casher. Jeez. I'm a casher. He's 33 years old. This team is five year, well, three years away from competing. He has no impact on the future of our team. I just don't think I look. We we've talked about this at nauseum. I love <laughs> Kashner, the guy. I think he's a great locker room guy. But look, they ended up getting two seventeen-year-old prospects for him in the trade. I can't say one way or the other whether how those things those guys are going to play out. Neither can you. Nobody knows. But at the end of the day, he's a rental. He's under he's he under is. contract for the rest of this year, and to be able to get a couple of guys to add to that international pool of prospects, continue the building process and continue building towards the future. Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely is there. It's something to see. But we can't go without talking this past series. No, for sure. And I'll tell you one guy who uh, <laughs> greeted Andrew Kashner in rather rude way. <laughs> it was rather, perfect. Rather rude way. Mancini ends up returning to the lineup and hitting two bombs off Kashner. Yeah, man, it was it was good to see. It's This is now, by the way, with him, that makes three straight seasons with 20-plus home runs. Oh, and by the way, this week he was also announced as getting the Orioles Heart and Hustle Award yeah, for MLB awesome. for the first half. And that so, just goes back to speak of his character and the type of person that he is. And he is one of those guys. He's the locker room guy that we all like. And Did I, you see him, by the way? I, I hate to interrupt you, but did nah. you see him after he hit that first bomb? He went into that dugout, and they had a shot of him from the end of the dugout. And he is high-fiving with such aggression. And, yeah. like, this big... I have never seen Trey, like, truly smile. You know what I mean? Like, where he's like, it's like a, not a force. Not like a, yeah, good job, guys. It was a, fuck you, yeah, man. Fuck you. Yeah, let's he, go. He's got a kind of <laughs> goofiness, a kind of dorkiness about him. But that's just man scene. I, I like the guy. I like him a lot. I do think that ultimately... Well, he'll be tested to see if they end up trading him. Um, I think we, as an organization, being where we are and, and the situation that we're in, we overvalue what he is. Because let's face it, he's a below-average outfielder. He should be a first baseman. His numbers don't, tick, don't dictate on another team, like a stronger team, a, a team that's competing for a pennant, to really go after with a strong offer for somebody who can't bring any value much more than – a DH or a first baseman. Yeah, I mean, I I can't I can't deny that. I let me ask you this: How well is he he's doing? Is he trading before the deadline? It's coming up on us. Uh, what next week? I don't think he is. I, I don't I don't think another team is going to give up the kind of prospects that you know 
Elias is going to end up wanting back. So I, I just don't see them. Yeah. I don't see them trading a Mancini for the sake of trading Mancini. A uh, Michael Givens, and we'll talk about him, somebody like that, absolutely. But a uh, Trey Mancini, he's too valuable, and he's still on that borderline of whether you invest in him I was for just, the future. I was just getting ready to ask, if, is this a sign, if they don't trade him, is that a sign that you are you have high intentions of signing him to an extension? Yes and no. Um, I think Elias is going to play this smart because I think he knows he's got Trey under control for a couple more years. Yeah. And if he doesn't get the value this year, they're going to be in a very similar position next year, maybe a little bit better, not much different. And who knows? That could be a totally different story. You might get the value next year. So I don't think that just because they don't trade him this year, that ultimately means they're going to sign him to the future. But I don't think, again, I don't think they trade him for the sake of just trading him. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either. I, I, I had to ask because it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be you know a question around Trey if we didn't ask what's going on because the trade line debt trade deadline is moving. You know, I do think we the the one guy that you mentioned that there's rumors surrounding this baffles me. It absolutely baffles me that Michael Givens is in trade rumors. So and Ryan and I kind of talked a little bit about Michael Givens last week. The thing with Michael is that when he's hot. He's hot and he's very, he's he's almost kind of got yeah he's very streaky and that's the downside to Michael Givens is you can't rely on him to be your closer you cannot rely him on him to be your number you know your your ninth inning guy but he would be a very good seventh or eighth inning guy oh that's you how mean what he was two years ago and exactly when we're, when our bullpen <laughs> was in a much better position that's when he excelled and as of late I mean he's pitching really really well he's got a one point eight four ERA over his last fourteen innings. Uh, 21 K's like he's doing really, really well. So he's building his value back up and kind of, like I said to Ryan last week, he's got a little bit of an awkward delivery, not quite like a, um, like a Darren O'Day, not quite that deceptive, but he does have a little bit of deception that if he can consistently find the strike zone and consistently find his spots, he does bring value. Yeah. I mean, he's got that weird arm slot that's coming from, you know, about uh, about 50% arm slot, not a not quite a three quarters like O'Day, like, like you were saying. But right. yeah, it definitely is hard for guys to pick up on that when he is throwing well. I think it sometimes it gets to a guy's head, you know, when you're when you're out there in the ninth inning. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, yeah. there it's not the role for everybody. We never said that Givens was was a solid closer. We said he could he could be serviceable. Right. And he has been just He's not on the right team to be a serviceable closer. Now, a guy that kind of came out of the woodworks and a guy that, you know, I had no expectations for but pitched one hell of a game. Are you talking about Wachowski? Hasher Wachowski, Wojciechowski, or however you Wachowski. say him. Wojo. That's what we're going to call him. Wojo. I think that's what they were calling the him in the dugout. Waj. He, he, had, Waj, a, yeah. he had a no-hitter going through seven innings. Uh, gets into the seventh inning, ends up giving up a base hit. So he goes seven and a third with one hit, no runs, two walks, and 10 Ks. That's damn good for this guy. And I don't know if you watched the game or if you saw the highlights of the game, but this kid's slider and his breaking ball were nasty. They were on point. Nasty. He had professional hitters. You know, you got um, uh, JD, JD Martinez. M Mookie Betts. JD, <laughs> JD Bradshaw, Martinez. JD, JD Martinez swung at a ball that was two feet out of the zone. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. Like, he had no business swinging at that, but almost looked like, you know, that meme that they made of Chris Davis where his eyes are in one direction and the ball is right in front of him, where he's just, <laughs> you know, blindly swinging. It was almost that bad. Did you really just, just say 
Chris Davis and J.D. Martinez yeah, in the same sentence. I guess that's a bad comparison. But yeah, that's that's a really bad comparison. <laughs> that's the kind of night that J.D. had, man, as, as well, actually day, because it was like 98 degrees and like 400% humidity. But this guy managed to go seven and a third. Pretty impressive. Yeah, actually, it was, it was quite an impressive, impressive move from him. I love to see that, especially out of a young guy coming up. Uh, you know, and this is a guy that kind of like like means that really wasn't expected to do a whole lot has really kind of come out of nowhere, so to speak, right. and shown his abilities and shown he's able to really get these when he's on point. He's able to get these big lead hitters out with good stuff, and that's what it takes. And what I liked about him, he was actually on 105.7 The Fan earlier today, and they were talking about him. And he, what I liked about him was he was humble in the sense that, yeah, he pitched a good game, but he's over it, and he's on to the next. And he's doing a lot of things like he knew that the game was going to be ridiculously hot. So he took the four days prior to his start to get his hydration right, to get his nutrition right, so that way he was preparing. This is the kind of stuff that – it's the extra mile. It's the guys that are hungry. It's the guys that want the, you know, that have the drive to want to be good. Right. That do things like this to try to. I mean, this guy's had, I think he's been on eight different teams. He's had three shots at the big leagues and almost gave it up. And for him to, you know, get a second shot here in Baltimore, come out and pitch like he did against the Red Sox. Yeah. I mean, pretty damn good, man. You talk about good pitchers. There was one that we know very well here in Baltimore. Yeah. That made his way into Cooperstown this past weekend. Yeah, man. A, a couple of guys, a couple of former Orioles, a yes. couple of guys that all three of us grew up idolizing. Uh, I knew I, you know, Mike Messina, obviously he was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Harold Baines also inducted to the Hall of Fame. Messina, we'll start with him. You know, it, pitching in the mid-90s, you know, through the, the late 90s, early 2000s here with the Orioles. I think he had nine-year career here and then nine years in, in Yeah, he started. He actually started in Baltimore in night, late season 91. Yeah, right uh, before then, they opened up the new stadium. Correct. Yep. Correct. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a great career here. He, you know, there was a lot of hatred, obviously, because he left Baltimore to, to go, go to, to New York Yankees. and all that. And of all teams for him to go to, you know, and this is – he left – Right around the time, you know, the Orioles were just kind of finishing out their run, like yeah. right before the 14 years of just awful baseball. So he got out of Dodge right in time. But. Yeah, and he, you know, we all know that there's there were some issues with the ownerships, but he, I, I, I was actually happy with his statements at the at Cooperstown. After spending three years at Stanford, I was once again drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Most of their minor league affiliates were near Pennsylvania, so I was looking forward to heading back east to play. And as it turned out, my minor league debut was in Williamsport. Just 14 months after they drafted me, the Orioles took a shot, and I was called up to Baltimore with about two months left in the 1991 season. My first start was at Comiskey Park in Chicago, and I actually threw really well that day. I only gave up four hits. Problem was, Frank Thomas had three of them, <laughs> including a solo home run, and we lost one nothing. And that was my introduction to the big leagues. The next season was my first full year in the majors and the first year for Camden Yards in downtown Baltimore. It was sold out every game and we had a pretty solid season. I was able to win 18 games to make my first all-star team. I want to thank the Orioles organization for giving me the opportunity to pitch and prove that I could succeed at the major league level. To the Orioles executives who brought baseball back to Baltimore's Inner Harbor, it remains one of the best ballpark environments in the game. To the Orioles fans, to the Orioles fans who came out every game 48,000 strong to support us and to support me. Thank you. 
I have some great baseball memories from those years, and I loved pitching in orange and black. That gives me chills. It takes you back to those to those days, just like he talked about. 48,000 strong on a weekday, like yeah. on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, and this this actually goes back to a YouTube video. You know how YouTube is? You start searching for something, and then you go down a wormhole, and then you end up somewhere <laughs> that you completely didn't want to end up. Somehow I ended up on baseball brawls, and it took me back to <laughs> when Messina – was uh, was pitching against the Mariners and Jay Buhner yeah. charged the mound. Man, oh man. And here's the thing, right? This was a weekday game. It was a weekday game. It was like a Thursday. And it was almost a sold out crowd. It was sold out. Like every angle yeah. that they showed during this highlight clip, I'm looking around I'm like, holy cow, 48,000. You're lucky if we get 4,800 these days. I mean, like, yeah. that's how bad it is. Yeah, and it's to his point, I love that the, he gave a little nod there, expressing yeah. that things have changed in Baltimore. Uh, little side dig at a uh, good old uh, Peter, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe I think, maybe I think. a little. Uh, but no, it, it was great to hear him say say some good things and remember his time there. Uh, but we got to talk about the other guy who went in to the Hall of Fame as one of the few DHs, the puppy dog, to play. In the game and make it to the Hall of Fame, good old Harold Baines. My family and I, we had a nickname for him. We always called him the Puppy Dog. He had those like sad, like puppy eyes, <laughs> like droopy. Yeah, he had like the <laughs> droopy eyes. He looked like a sad puppy, like God. or like his his puppy had just died all the time. <laughs> like that was just Harold Baines' look. Funny you say that. Like he did. I saw an interview with him with uh, Jack. Uh, I forget the guy's name. Jack something. And he like he bro- actually broke out of the tears. And I remember thinking something very similar. <laughs> I'm like, wow, his eyes are like, is he getting old? And then nice. you go back. And you look at pictures of him, always and they were like always that. like that. It was like the guy never slept or we something. We always called him the puppy dog. It's but, just funny. But he, he had some good, uh, some good comments as well. Yeah. My journey started in a small town on a Maryland Eastern Shore called St. Michael's. Listen to him well up. I owe a debt of gratitude to this entire close-knit community for help raising me as a child and as a teenager. St. Michael's for me. I will not be where I am today in baseball or in life without so many people from St. Michael's who cared, cared enough to do more in their respective part to help a youngster like me who may have had some athletic ability but not a lot of us going on him from the 1970s. From teachers to coaches to town residents who showed me both kindness and discipline, I thank you all for what you've done for me. We talk about professional hitters. He, him, and Edgar from the DH position, best to ever do it, and the epitome of professional. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of those things, when you look at a guy like him, what he what he brought to Baltimore during his time here, yeah. which was right around the, that Mucina era, right around when everything was going on. You know, the, the cow, you had everything going on with Cal. That was just the year for Baltimore, those years that 90, 90, late 94, after the strike, into 96, early 97, before we started getting rid of some pieces because we we recognize things were going downhill, right? Um, but when you look at that that those few years, you look at how much product came out of that. Guys like Musina, Erickson, yeah. Baines, Ripken. I mean, we're talking Hall of Fame names yep. on one team. I remember what was I forget what was uh, what year it was. Might have been ninety eight, where they called them the Baltimore Bashers, where they had I want to mm-hmm. say eight or nine guys that had twenty or twenty or more yeah. home runs. In that lineup, you know, you had the Eddie Murray's, the BJ Serhoff's, you know, all those guys, just uh, incredible. It, it, it's crazy like to that. see. It's crazy to hear. But uh, 
it, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't like tip my cap to somebody. So I'm going to tip my cap <laughs> to the St. Mary's community. If we have anybody watching or listening out from the St. Mary's area, thank you for growing up around Harold Baines and making him who he is. Yeah, man, for sure. So speaking of talent, right? Let's talk a little bit about some of the talent that we've had down on the farm. Woo-wee! There has been a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of things that are on the horizon that get me excited about the direction that this organization's going. Well, we, I know we got, we're st- like, we got like four in the top 100 now? <laughs> yes, man. Four prospects over the last couple of years that have been drafted are now in baseball's top 100 prospects, according to Baseball America. Adley Rutschman, this year's draft pick, flies all the way up to number five on the list right off the get-go. That quick. That quick. <laughs> D.L. Hall, number 41. Grayson Rodriguez, last year's number one overall pick. He comes in at number 53. And Yusniel Diaz, who we got back in the Machado trade last year, he comes in at number 86. A lot of hope, a lot of pieces there that could be the building blocks for this team in the next couple of years. So for any team to really have two, maybe three guys pushing it in the top 100 is impressive. But for us to have four in the system and for Rutschman to be in that mix and he's only been in the organization for, what, a month and a half now? Right, right. You know, it, it just goes to show his talent level and the talent level that we have sitting around with some of these guys. But you also look at this list. You have other guys that are overall in the Orioles' top 30 prospect Well, this is, this is just kind of another tip-your-cat moment to Mike Elias and the way that the he, moves. he knocked it out of the park in this year's draft. So they released... The Orioles' top 30 prospect list. So they do the the collective MLB rankings of top 100. Then they do each individual club. Then they release the Orioles' top 30 prospects. And four of this year's draft picks are already in the Orioles' top 30. Let's say one of two things. Either one, he either knocked it out of the park, or two, that just goes to speak of the talent level that was in this organization from the organization before. But I think you get your answer when you look at the top three names. Yeah. And you have Rutschman, who's number one. Who again? This man has has hasn't even made it to the minors, so to speak. He's still in Grapefruit League right now, right? You know, and so for him to be at number one, Gunnar Henderson, you also drafted this year, at number seven. Kyle Stowers, nineteen already. We saw him in. Uh, we're gonna talk about it in a few minutes. Yeah. We saw him at Aberdeen, and then you have Zach Watson, the outfielder, who's number twenty. So these four guys all drafted, and they're already in the top top twenty. Really, not you don't even have to say top thirty, top twenty, and making their mark already. I mean, Adley Rutschman has his first career professional game the other day mm-hmm. in the Gulf Coast League. He ended up having three really solid at-bats, really, three really solid hits, one of which was a home run. So he hit his first professional home run, and it wasn't a shabby shot at all. He was left-handed, too. <laughs> right. Let's not forget, this guy, this guy can bat from both sides. He's a switch-hitting catcher. Right, exactly. And then down at Bowie, the guy that we just mentioned, Yusniel Diaz, he's been hitting two ninety two. <sighs> With nine home runs and 11 doubles over, uh, what, a span of 32 games? That's pretty damn impressive. Kid is really starting to turn it around. There was, you know, he kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start this year, had some injuries that he had to work through, but he's really starting to get it figured out. And double A, in my opinion, double A is a really good spot to evaluate where your talent is at. If they're succeeding at the double A level, chances are they've got a real good shot at being pretty good at the next level. I obviously triple A is the final, you know, spot right. destination, but I feel like double A is where you really get a better analysis of game speed and pitch changes, that kind of thing. 
uh, and using the ideas is finally starting to catch on. Yeah, I, I agree. I like what I'm seeing there. But the other the other place I like what I'm seeing is out of what we saw to Mike Bowman and Bowie. Yeah, man, this guy. I, I no, no. Even, I had never even heard of him. I had never heard of him th- prior to this season. And since he's gone to Bowie, it's been pitching lights man. out, man. Well, in this game, he had two walks, 10 Ks and 94 pitches. If he doesn't have those two walks, we're talking a perfect game, people. And you know the thing that I really liked about this kid is there's a lot of young, talented pitchers, but a lot of the talented pitchers that I've seen, they're typically in that like 88 to 91 mile an hour range, which yeah. unless you're like spot on with your accuracy, that type of velocity doesn't typically pan out very well as a starter at the major league level. You don't have to worry about that with this kid. He was hitting 97, 98 on the gun. Yeah, man. It was good to see. All the way through. And to, again, to pitch that efficient, and only pitch 94 pitches through nine innings, that's a real damn good start. It's a great start, and I, I love to see it. You know, I, I, I talked about the fact that we we went to the game. One of the guys we got to see at Aberdeen, um, we didn't get to see this game, and I was a little upset about it because we went on Friday. Right. Uh, but on Saturday, Saturday, Johnny Riser, and I say Riser, oh, come on, just man. for Brian. because <laughs> he was, was funny. Brian asked during the game if that was any relation to Bud Weiser. I was like, no, it's Riser. Right. Uh, but <laughs> we all know how Ryan, Brian is with names. Just saying. I like my beer, too. <laughs> <laughs> but the kid hit for the cycle. Two singles, two doubles. Or I'm sorry, two singles, a double, a triple, and a home run. Dude went five by five, five, man. That's crazy. It's good to see. I mean, it just shows you the talent level that's up and down. You know, we're talking, we've talked single A, we've talked double A, we've talked triple A, where these guys are at. Well, you mentioned uh, being at Aberdeen and seeing uh, one of our one of our draft picks from this year, Kyle Stowers. Did you see anything that you liked out of this kid? So Stowers went, he went one for four in the game that we saw. We actually, it was actually a doubleheader there. So when we got there, they were like in the middle of the first game, okay. finishing up mm-hmm. the finishing up that and going into the second game. Second game, he went one for four. First game, he went 0 for three. Um, he's an outfielder. He's rangy. He's a rangy yeah. outfielder. He's been doing well. We, did his arm we did to, look like he had decent arm strength? You didn't get to see. You didn't get to see the arm strength really displayed in that game, unfortunately. Okay. Um, or either of the times that we were there, he played. Uh, I think he played right field in, in the first game and left field in the second game. But well, he, he what impressed me with this kid. I didn't get to go to the game, so I didn't get to see him in person. But I heard an interview that he did the other day, and what I liked about this kid was that he he had that again that drive that want to to be good. His he flat out said. I don't plan on being at this level very long. I plan on playing at Baltimore ASAP. And that's the kind of drive and that's the kind of mentality you have to have. Cause I mean, again, you're starting out at low A, got a long way to go to get there. And if you're coming in with that kind of attitude, you'll be one of the first ones to get through. It's good. It's one of those things you need to make sure that you, that you have the mentality of going in and saying, I'm going to do what it takes. And that's, that's good on him. Uh, and I have to mention it. Um, he he can catch a ball, unlike our uh, our producer buddy over oh. here. Um, are you ready? Because we're going to see if you can catch something now since you can't catch a ball. Get yourself on camera. We're going to see if you can on. catch it. Ready? There we go. Right. Oh, my God. He can catch things. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. There was also oh, a well, bitch in the way, too, might I add. <laughs> uh, it was a foul ball. We were in, in foul territory. We're going to hear the uh, end of this. Foul ball Good hits grief. the top of the pavilion, bounces like twice, and then comes down, hits him in his palm. Of his left hand, mind you, that's his catching hand. Yeah, I have no excuse on this one. Yeah, I, I totally screwed this one up. <laughs> and and I knew it. As soon as it hit out of my hand, I knew I don't screwed up. And I knew I was going to be called out on a show for it, too. <laughs> because my wife and, 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 and Carrie, Scott's wife, were all like, 
oh, you done messed up. You done messed up <laughs> bad. He's like, they are going to roast you like nobody's business. And I should have caught it. There's no excuse. I played baseball for many, many years. I'm just like, why did I try to catch it with one hand? Two hands, Brian. Two hands, catch it, and I would have been safe. But And that's uh, why you're IT, Blake. That's why I'm behind the scenes. Yes, you are absolutely correct. All right, Scott, it is time for this week's Liquor Stop Brew of the Week. Yeah, man. This week, uh, Jerry hooked us up with a brew out of Port City Brewing Company. It's out of Alexandria, Virginia. It's called their Integral IPA. Uh, This is kind of like your average IPA. It's about 7% alcohol by volume. Uh, It's actually not bad. Their description of it, uh, it is, you know, breathe deep, ladies and gents. This IPA is all about big complex aromas coaxed from some of your favorite new school hops Hey-o. a refined dry body serves as a golden hued <laughs> canvas oh my god for layers of hop character think overripe pine- pineapple guava and melon this is it's it's kind of like your average but there is a little bit of a hint of the you know the tropical flavor to it when you yeah. get the aftertaste and it kind of sits in your mouth a little bit see what i did there <laughs> no i'm blind to it <laughs> it's all about those melons but man. make sure that you guys get out to liquor stop this week uh friday from four to seven they are actually jerry was letting us know brian went with me Jerry's letting us know they're actually doing a tasting for Port City. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so make sure you get out there on Friday, again, 4 to 7. Let them know that Birdland BS sent you. You get 10% off your brew of the week, uh, and it's good stuff. And they also, we picked up a growler of some sour beer that you, you did. <laughs> not a <laughs> fan, my friend. Fred and sours don't he, mix, he's man. He's not a sour friend. But no. get yourself one of their stainless steel growlers. Mm-hmm. Fred felt this thing. I have it sitting out here. This thing is still cold. Yeah, it really is. It nice. is. It is still keeping this beer cold, keeping it fresh. Make sure you go check them out. Go to Liquor Stop. Tell them Berlin BS sent you. All right, man. It's time for some Ravens flock. And you know, last week Ryan and I kind of talked a little bit about Lamar Jackson. There was photos kind of floating around on social media. I haven't had a chance to really talk to you about this, and I wanted to get your take. So. The importance behind these photos was that Lamar was down in Florida working out with his wide receivers. He had Willie Sneed down there. He had Chris Moore down there. He's working out, getting in some work with his wide receivers. Now, both you and I have been kind of critical of Joe Flacco in the past. Especially me. Both of us, really. And not giving him, not putting in the extra work. We always say he's that 9-5 to guy. Last year, we saw him put in a little bit of work, and I feel like the media kind of pushed forced it, it yeah. forced that to happen. <laughs> But this, I mean, this just kind of speaks to who I think Lamar is more as a player. But do you think the practice and putting in the extra work is a little overblown, or do you think I, do you think it's worth it? I think it's worth it, and here's why I'm going to say this. And I'm going to catch a lot of crap from Ravens fans for this, so I'm just going to eat it now and take it. But you're you're going to have to deal with what I'm about to say. There's a reason that Tom Brady is the best quarterback. Over the past decade, period. Because he jumps off a cliff and puts his daughter in danger? Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus go Christ. Is that why? Oh, my God. Too soon, man. <laughs> because the man works out with his wide receivers in the offseason on a regular effing basis. It, the more you can develop a relationship and the more you can do things outside of, of what you actually are doing for work and what you, even what you're doing for a hobby whatever – the more that you can develop that relationship, the more you're in tune with each other. You can know how each other is going to go. I'm going to use you and I for an example. People comment about how we, 
we come in here, we don't script this stuff. When you and I get in arguments, it's legit. We get in legit arguments, and it, it makes for good a good podcast show. Right. It's chemistry, and when we're able to talk, you and I have done so many things outside of this podcast, and not even we've done things and not even had any discussion about the podcast. Oh yeah, of course. Because we're having fun, and we're both on the same page. And when you're on the same page, it really puts you in a better mindset when you're together, right? And you're having to do work together and put in the work together. So for Lamar to be there, it was Willie Sneed that actually posted the picture, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Because I told you way, way too early, Willie Sneed's going to have the year of his career. Mark my words, Willie Sneed is going to have the year of his career because he is now even more in sync with Lamar than he was last year. All right, so that brings up my next point. You think Willie Sneed's primed to have a career year. Let's not forget he had Drew Brees as his quarterback for the first couple of years of his career. So he put up some decent numbers his rookie year in a second Who else year. was on that wide receiving core? No, he had a ton of wide receivers. He, <laughs> he, but that's the thing. He gets everybody involved. So my thing is, I personally think the, the guys that are going to be involved a little bit more in the offense, and I think the guys that might have a bigger impact on this offense going into this year is going to be this group of tight ends. You know, last year, considering – how young our tight end group was. We drafted two rookies. We had Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst obviously had the injury that he was kind of trying to deal with and get over the entire year. But when you look at the statistics and you look at all the ratings that Pro Football Focus puts out there, the, the Ravens had four of the top five productive tight ends in the AFC North last year. And two of them, the top two, two of the top five were rookies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I are they going to play a huge a huge role? Yes, but I think you're going to see them really having to. They're going to be used in short down in situations, obviously, when you've got Lamar on the scramble and he needs to hit him because the, the defense has read Lamar perfectly. Right. But I think ultimately, when you look at it, where they are going to play an integral role is in is in stopping them from the, stopping the the defense's run run uh, pass or not pass rush. Uh, yeah, pass rush. Not not their not necessarily their pass rush. No, when they when they see Lamar, they're going to be the ones giving Lamar the room to run. Right. I don't know why I'm just drawing a blank on the name of it. But when I look at it, who's going to have the greater impact? I think it's a wide receiving core. I can't doubt this wide receiving core. They've got to get open for Lamar. They have to be. And you've got Snead. You've got a, a healthy Hollywood's going to be dangerous. Well, we you've don't know. Bo- That's the question mark. It, it is, and I've said that. But I I think he's. When he is healthy, he has been dangerous. Agreed? Oh, well, 100%. He's, he's going to be one of the more electric players in the league. Problem is, we're talking about this year and how much production are we going to see out of him this year. They did ask Lamar in some of the some of the, the interviews getting into training camp what was going on with Hollywood, and he, he basically said, you know, Hollywood's just catching the ball. He's not able to run anything right now, but he's right. got good hands, which is good to hear. And he does. He has good hands. He, he's, he's got good hands, and I think if you can get him open, you can get Snead open. When you have so many of those other weapons, is it going to open up your tight end shots a little bit more? Yeah, but they're going to be more so there for, for blocking for him uh, more than they are catching the ball, and that's why I think from a, from a blocking standpoint, they're going to play a, a much bigger role, but as far as receiving standpoint, from everything that we're hearing, these wide receivers are going to be heavily involved more so there, than they were last year. There's no doubt that this wide receiver core, in my opinion, is ha- even with the unknowns, considering how young they are, I think it's a far superior group of wide receivers than we had last year. 
And I know that that's kind of, again, a question mark because none of these guys, a lot of these guys haven't done anything at the NFL level yet. But when you look at what they've done on offense, right, they obviously drafted and built this roster around Lamar and around the Lamar offense, which they didn't do last year. A lot of the wide receivers that they brought in were built around Flacco and Flacco styles offense. The, the, the key to this offense and what's going to make this offense successful is getting these guys out in space. And I think that Lamar, albeit we probably won't see him run as much as he did last year, when he is scrambling out of the pocket, the first thing he's going to look for, if he can't find somebody down the field, he's going to look for a security blanket. He's going to look for those tight ends that are you know out 5, 10 yards down the field. He's going to look for his running backs coming out of the backfield. And that's where I think we'll see the production from the tight ends really improve. Here's my only thing about that statement. Were any tight ends working out with him in Florida? Well, that's, that's a good point. I was actually going to say that. I, I would have liked to have seen the tight ends down there. But, again, it's it's... It's all in, in in chemistry, and it's all in who you're working with. I, I think he he made it a point that he wanted to get in work. He probably you know sent out a message like, whoever wants to come down here, I'm here. Get in work. Willie Sneed, Chris Moore, those guys were probably just more conveniently down there. But the point is, he's putting in work and building chemistry with guys that are going to be in the starting lineup. Yeah, and I hope he continues to throw strikes, just like he did at his first pitch for Orioles opening. Or That's Orioles right. uh, throwing out the first pitch there. They were a pretty good pitch. And then he comes at like... He's got more like triangular uh, lat muscles than I thought he did. When you look at it, he was like, he went down. And I'm like, dude, you got some like lat, like neck muscle, lat, like craziness. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, holy crap, man. But uh, the other thing we got to talk about is the most improved, least improved list. Yeah. The Ravens come in at number 21. So. You know, I was kind of torn on this, and this isn't the offense. This is the team as a whole. Most improved, the NFL.com put out their list, um, and the Ravens, like you said, came in at 21. This, There's no doubt that this roster had a ton of changeover, right? And there's a lot of question marks around some of the moves and some of the things that they, they noted in there were the key losses of Eric Weddle and Terrell Suggs. And I know I've said this multiple times, and I still stand to this day. I, you know, I value what Terrell Suggs and what Eric Weddle bring from a leadership's perspective. But let's not kid ourselves. These guys were not. They weren't in their at, prime. They weren't in the prime. They weren't at the peak of their careers. These guys were falling off pretty badly. The production that Terrell Suggs was putting up outside of the first couple of weeks of the game, he would hit a wall. We'd have to put, we'd have to pull him out for quite a few series to give him a right. break to put him back in to make him effective. Exactly. Now, I think the bigger losses Obviously, C.J. Mosley, Zadarius Smith, these are two young guys that were, you know, solid, productive players at their position. We all know kind of the, the fallbacks of, of C.J. Mosley and his ability or not ability <laughs> in pass coverage. Um, I think Zadarius Smith was the bigger loss because we have such a big hole at pass rush. So, albeit, I do think they may have taken a step back a little bit on defense. I'm not as low on Peanut and um, uh, Christ, the other linebacker. I can't think of it. Kenny Young. Kong, yeah. yeah. I'm not as low on those as some guys are. I think that they'll step up and do an admiral job. I just I worry about the the pass rush, but let's 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 say now on the other side, the improvement that we made was in the secondary. Yeah. Adding hands down the best safety in the league in Agreed. Earl Thomas is going to help on the back end. So if the pass rush does struggle a little bit to get to the quarterback, he can make up for that. 
Let's not forget Earl Thomas, and I'm not detracting from him by any means. Right now, he's still the best safety in the league on paper because we have to see how he recover, how he comes back and fully recovers in game, exactly. in game speed Agreed. from the injury. And I, I have all intentions and all hopes that this they're not going to rush a guy like him back. You, you need to make sure that he's fully back and fully healthy. We were talking about the defense. We can't go without mentioning the news about Wink this week. Yeah, man, he was named the NFL's top defensive coordinator heading into the season. And look, he did a phenomenal job last year as the coordinator, you know, coming in and, and taking this defense to the number one ranked defense in the league. But I often wonder, do the Ravens get a little bit more clout for defensive coordinators than maybe other teams just because of the consistency of how good this defense has been for such a long time? I mean, think about all the names defensive coordinator-wise that have come through here and gotten head coaching jobs and that kind of thing. I think to your point, is it the defensive coordinator or is it the front office? Right. You know, for keeping the personnel around him and and bringing in the right personnel rather than the defensive coordinator. But you've got to have a defensive coordinator that's that's able to 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 play calls well, right? And because of that, again, that reverts back to the front office for me, right? The but front you, office and the head coach are working together and and finding the right fit for defensive coordinator. Yeah, but if you look at Wink Martindale and his one shot that he had as a defensive coordinator out of Denver, that did not end well for him. It was Denver. So he ended up (laughs) inheriting a pretty good defense last year. And look, he changed a lot of things. There were a lot of ways about the defense that I liked. The defense was more aggressive. They didn't play that BS, like, safe when we got a lead. Let's play prevent defense like DPs did. Well, let's not forget, too, that he also was having to deal with some injuries throughout the season. Agreed. Especially early in the season. So to, to, to... Say that you put out a number one defense with the injuries that you had and having to pull Terrell Suggs off the field, having to have your your uh, safety doing the play calling and being out of position multiple times. Right. To say that that was a number one defense? Yeah. That's a pretty good job by Wing Martindale to have the... He's got all the other pieces in place. Even if one's out of, out of place, the rest of them are still fine. Right. That's so, very true. But speaking of some guys on defense... <laughs> are you talking Jefferson here? Jefferson talking about his pregnancy. A couple of guys on defense. <laughs> you got Jefferson, Chris Warmsley, Warmly, uh, Brandon the, Williams, Ferguson. I mean, everybody's spitting out babies here. What's yeah, going on? well, you got you got RG three, Warmly, and Boyle are joined by Jefferson now, who are all expecting later this year. What the hell? <laughs> so you have those three guys, and then you have Ferguson, uh, Brandon Williams, and Morgan Cox that all had little ones in, born in the off season. And in Tony's words. We're a bunch of fertile ravens. I think that goes to speak about what there is or isn't to do here in Baltimore. That everybody, <laughs> oh, everybody decides to stay in and just get it in, right? <laughs> stay Kevin in and fever. get it on. Stay in and get it in. <laughs> oh my Jesus god, Jesus Christ! Well, man. we mentioned Ferguson. We can't go without mentioning the fact that Ferguson, Mac. And Pierce yeah. passed their physicals. Thank God. Yay. Yeah. And I mean, look, they everybody out there. I had no, I had no doubt that Mac and Ferguson would. Yeah. Pierce, Pierce at 400 pounds. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little question mark. But That's a big it, guy. Th- look, everybody, former players were chiming in all over social media about how tough the Ravens' physical is as far as the, um, the, the test that they go through. Physicals here in Baltimore are, are a rough period. Right. Ravens and Orioles were, were touted as one of being, and it's because, you know why, in my opinion? Because of Johns Hopkins is right down the road. Right. 
which well, they work with. They work closely with. This isn't just a physical. This is a conditioning test. True. That they put these players through. This isn't just the grab your balls, cough, and turn <laughs> your head. You know, it's not that kind of a physical. It's literally a conditioning test, and they say it's the hardest in the league. Brian, turn your head and cough, please. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Did good. It was good to see that these guys finally got past their uh, their their test. Yeah, it was. It was. It, camp starts. Two days. The the Pierce thing was was the big thing that everybody it was the big question mark. So for him to pass the physical it was it was quite of surprise. We still don't know the numbers of how much weight he actually lost. Right. Um. And who who knows? There may there are some guys out there that are that big and they can be really they have good endurance. Right. Maybe he was in that situation. Maybe he he put on the weight, but he kept up his endurance. If that was the case, he can be a little heavier. But we still we still have not yet heard the numbers on what he came in at on the scale, and how you know how he really did he pass by a slim hair, right? Or did he truly like pass and surprise everybody? I don't know. At the end of the day, he passed. Next <laughs> test is getting on the field in two days and seeing how he does out in that heat. Yeah, right. Oh man. All right, Brian. It is time for our social media shout out. Got oh, anybody out there watching, uh, commenting? I got a bunch of people. I got James, Jessica, Sherry, Samuel. Wow. Nikki, D-Bag, Troy, Nick, and Ryan. They're all commenting out Appreciate there today. Appreciate you all tuning Any in. Any good questions or comments out there? So James, of course, he was commenting about me, Brian dropping balls. And, <laughs> you know, you know, for, you know, James, I thought James you had my was back, there too. Man. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. He had the perfect angle because he was the first one to give me grief. Like, come on, man, you should have caught that thing. What is going on with you? Um, Samuel, he's, gra- he's glad that Fred and Scott are back. It's like the OGs is what Troy Hayes was saying. Nice. Uh, hashtag uh, Lamar effect is taking place already, so that's getting hot and heavy out there in the in the wild. Um, so here's something for me to you guys: the Baltimore Bashers. I know you brought this up. The year was '96. Oh, '96. Can okay. you name me who those Baltimore Bashers were? All right, so I'm gonna try this. All right, so don't don't give it away. Just just I'm, I'm looking at him, it right now. Let go him, ahead. Let him give how, his. You and go I'm first. Give mine. How, how many was? Don't it? tell him if he's right or wrong. One, just let two, him give three, his. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine of them. All right. So I'm gonna start. So Cal Ripken. Yes. BJ. Don't don't, don't don't say yes or no because I want to guess I'm if he gets sorry. it wrong. Oh, yeah, like oh. that's not a giveaway. <laughs> Cal Ripken, BJ Serhoff, Raphael Palmero, Eddie Murray, Chris Hoyles, uh, Brady Anderson. Um, Roberto Alomar. Mm-hmm. Um, how many is that? Seven. And two more. Harold. No, wait a minute. Harold wasn't on the team in '96, was he? Yeah, Harold Baines. No. Damn. Sorry, I'm. I can give you some. All right. On. So so far, he's right on all those. He he's right. Yeah. And I'm going to say. The next one that he's forgetting is Bobby Bonilla. Oh, Bobby. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah there right. you go. You're missing you're missing one. And this one's gonna be difficult. I'm not gonna lie. This one threw me off when I started. Todd looking. Zeal. Son of a gun. <laughs> Todd Zeal. That was, nice. Boom. that was nice. How did you pull that one out of your book? Because butt? you were thinking because I had him on the tip of my tongue earlier, and I'm like, I don't know if he was ninety six, but then you said it was tough. So I figured it out. Yeah, man. Go. Yeah, touche to you guys. <laughs> All right, man. Uh all right, it's time for some Turtle Talk, Scott. Yeah, man. This week, uh, we had Big Ten Media Day. Yeah. You had uh, Anthony McFarlane, Tino Ellis, Antoine Brooks all grabbing the spotlight to rep the team. As Dressed well as to the nines. 
dressed yeah. to Wait, the nines. We can't I don't even know what that means, but they're dressed to the nines. Why can't they be dressed to the tens? Were I they don't know. Something? It's just what people say. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Were they dimes? <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm not going there. We are oh, no man. longer a family-friendly <laughs> show anymore. We just lost that. Uh, man, but it was really good to hear these guys talk. You know, they they, they actually went up on the uh, the Big Ten you know platform where they had a couple of guys up there interviewing them. Uh, some people, I'm not going to point out names, probably shouldn't have had a microphone in front of them, one guy in particular. The other two guys <laughs> did really, really well, uh, and they kind of talked a little bit about just the culture of how things have changed within the program, um, how much they've kind of bought into the Mike Loxley and everything that he's doing there, and everybody was singing his praise. And, and there were some comments that Anthony McFarlane made because they, they talked to him about his NFL status and – if next year, if he has the year that everybody expects him to have, would he take the call to the NFL? Does he feel like maybe getting less carries is going to affect that status? And actually what he said was that the appeal to Maryland was the fact that they have so many good backs. And his justification for that is what what's appealing to the NFL isn't amount of carries, because the amount of carries that you have tends to put more wear on the body, right? right? So that throws up more question marks because this guy has taken more abuse over his four years in college. It's more about the production of what you do with the ball when you have it. Right, so if exactly. you have a guy on a limited amount of carries that's averaging seven, eight, nine yards a clip. If a guy can put up national numbers and be limited on his carries, that's a guy that has your attention. Exactly, and I think that... That was the appeal for McFarland. Obviously, being a local kid, one going to Maryland was a big thing for him, just in general. Yeah, uh, yeah you mentioned one of the guys who maybe shouldn't have had a mic in front of, face, front of his face. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna defend him a little bit and say that it's probably a little bit of nerves. That Big Ten media days, it can be a little intimidating. These are some younger guys; they're not fully. Do they get a little bit of training? Yes, but they aren't. They aren't really given a whole lot of training on how to speak to the media right now. And yeah, but if I, you'd have heard this, I, I know, I know, but I'm gonna rack it up to nerves. I'm trying to be nice here. Yeah, I think you know, it's, I, I, it's definitely. I, nerves. I think these I think guys are kids. It's just you know, one guy that was not nervous, locks. No, not at all. And again, they they asked him all the hard hitting questions as to why he chose Maryland, why Maryland was was basically his dream job, and you know he wasn't he didn't sugarcoat his, his feelings on it at all. You know he grew up in the heyday of when Maryland was great in the seventies, you know, when they were really good and, and he got to see, you know, later on, you know, in the nineties when, you know, Ralph region was still here and he was part of that. You got to see the evolution of the program. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's, there's been a lot of big names that have come through this program. Well, not to mention the other thing that he talked about was that they kind of asked him about, you know, what it, you couldn't shy away from the elephant in the room. All right. When it came to the Maryland program. And he basically said, look, I'm taking a family approach here. I'm going to go through and I'm going to I'm going to make sure that this is a family approach. Everything's open, honest. And we've talked about this on the show kind of at nauseum about how well of a job him and his staff on the front and back end have done at making this kind of like an open book program. Right. They're showing you every here's everything that we're doing. Right. I wouldn't be surprised in season to see after the games, after some games are played, some game prep videos 
and seeing some of these guys going through some game prep, going through some cycles, you're going to see stuff that they already did that they don't care if anybody sees because it was stuff they used in game. But you're going to see that they're going to be more of an open book. And he's creating this as a family. And you're seeing it with guys like Nick Cross, who's been pivotal. I know you and Ryan talked about it last week. Yeah. He's been pivotal in bringing in some of these recruits, coming in and going, dude, you want to be here. Right. Like, that's his attitude. And that's what you want. And you want to come join the family. Right. That's what and, it makes you want to do. And the other thing that he kind of talked about there was, you know, there are, you know, we did get a few local commits that were big names, Nick Cross being one of them, but there still are a lot of local commits that are leaving and going elsewhere and going to some of these other programs. And he kind of hinted on that. You know, he said, look, when I had other jobs in other places, Alabama being one, my roots are in the DMV. And I was out there recruiting and getting these guys to come to Alabama, and now they've kind of bought in to some of these other programs that are outside of the DMV area. It's going to take time for him to get them to transition back here. And obviously, you know, there is the black eye that's the program in itself that they're trying to, you know, and black eyes healing really quickly. I'll they're tell you doing that. a great job. I don't think they could have done any better than they have so far with this program. They've been able to get, you know, some big name transfers that are really going to help and some big name recruits, man. I'm really, really excited for this team. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. The one thing that, that came out after media day, uh, you speak, you spoke of Alabama. Yeah. Saban and Saban made some comments, uh, that were at, at first seemed to be a little unclear that maybe potentially directed at locks. The comments were, you know, the agendas quote unquote of former coaches last year may have gotten in the way. And Locks came out and basically assured the media that Saban was not referencing him. And the quote that he has is, I know this. Why wouldn't I want to win the national championship to springboard my time here at Maryland? I can sleep at night knowing we had we did a great job. We broke records there on offense. We gave ourselves a chance to win except one game, which I understand the expectation at Alabama is to win championships. And we picked the national championship to not execute well. Hit the nail on the head. And he owned it. Right. That was that that is where, again, second time in the show, I'll tip my cap. Yeah. That takes some balls yeah. on national television in front of national media to say we didn't execute in that game. We executed all year long and we didn't execute in that game. And he's absolutely right. What reason? Does he have to put his Maryland agenda over losing the national championship? I, I can agree more. If anything, winning that national championship solidifies his Maryland agenda. Agreed. At that point, we would have heard about that the, the day the season ended last year, not waited a month and a half. I, I couldn't agree more. But you know what else takes some serious balls? Is for Alabama last year to bring in DJ Durkin as an assistant. And now he is now offered and getting a job as a guest coach with the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL. Dan Quinn, dude. Dan Quinn. What are you doing, sir? Look, they have a relationship going back to their Florida I know days. That. Yes, so, I know that. And so, I'm like, that's why I'm like, eh. but at the same time, I'm like, dude, Dan, come on. Look, I, I don't I can't put all of the blame on DJ Durkin for what happened. But it happened on his watch, regardless. If it was one thing, I wouldn't I would agree with you, but it wasn't one thing. Right. Well, how many different scenarios, different situations that we heard of at Maryland? You and I, it makes us sick to our stomach thinking about yeah. it and hearing about it. And it's not like this guy 
needs the money. I mean, he got paid out his contract. This guy is sitting fat as far as money goes. I'm not saying he shouldn't. Which he be- shouldn't have even been paid out of the contract. Let's just say that. Oh, but yeah, he that's did. A whole other so there's no reason for you to even be out there. And this Dan Quinn, dude, I I like Dan Quinn, but this move, I was seriously like, dude, you you just lost any chance that you have, is my in my opinion, at any other coach. And I, I think the the guest coach label that they put on him, so I think it's basically just a temporary label. It's to kind of see how the media reacts to it. That if the media is okay with it and it doesn't go over next too badly, year, he'll be a coach. He'll be a coach. Yeah. He'll get his shot again. This is kind of the oh, we just wanted to test the waters. You guys don't like it? That's okay. He's just a guest. Then he can just they can bow out from it and move on from it. But if the media doesn't overreact. Well, they can bring him in as a coach. Are there any Maryland players in Atlanta? Uh, I don't think so. That'd be that'd be interesting. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. That'd no. be interesting. Right. See somebody from Maryland be like, uh, fuck you, coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This week, we got good, bad, and ugly. Uh, we're going to start off with the good here. This one is, uh, this guy's pretty close to you in age. Hey, now. Uh, Manny Pacquiao at age 40, he goes 12 rounds in a fight with Keith Thurman, who was undefeated. Could you go 12 rounds at 36? Uh, no, I couldn't go 12 minutes. <laughs> Not alone 12 rounds. Ain't no way. That's what she said. Jeez. <laughs> oh, you walked right into that one now. <laughs> I can't save you for that one. I did walk into that one for sure. Oh, man. No, well, you know, the, the impressive thing is that, you know, Thurman's 10 years younger than this guy. Yeah. And Manny, I mean, he whooped up on him. And in the and, welterweight division, Thurman's undefeated. Yeah. It's, so here's the thing. I've always been a Manny Pacquiao fan, but I really enjoy him and the Floyd Mayweather fights. Like those are some of my more favorite fights to watch. But, you know, for him to be able to do this still at 40 years old and be this type of fighter, I know one of the judges ended up getting it wrong and somehow Gave it to Thurman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, how this I, I don't know how the hell that decision. happened at all. If you watch any of this fight, I don't care where you started, where you finished. Like Pacquiao dominated this fight, but you know, for him to still be able to do this at age forty, I think that there's a uh, another chapter to be written in the Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather. All right. So, so I have a question then: is is Pacquiao that good, or is boxing just getting that bad? It's both. Boxing's been bad for a long time now, um, and there's just a few guys, a few names out there that have kind of kept the sport alive, Pacquiao being one of them. Yeah, uh, Pacquiao and Mayweather. And Mayweather being the other. You know, at 40 years old, how much more do they have? They're trying to milk this for everything that they can, and you know anytime it's him and Mayweather, it's a huge payday for both of them. I got a feeling there's there's one more chapter, the final chapter in Pac- Pacquiao and Mayweather. You think it's you think it's two? Yeah, really? Yeah. Everything I'm hearing out of the out of the Mayweather camp is not going to happen. Yeah, money talks with that guy. I guarantee you, they start they start talking money. He'll be all ears. I this mean, is true. I mean, come on, man! It's at least a hundred million dollars payday for. That both Easily. of them are split. I mean, 50, I was saying, oh, it's, I, it's I was million saying, it's, I think guarantee two hundred. I mean, guarantee guarantee two hundred. Two hundred to Floyd, one hundred to, to Manny. And yeah, keep in mind, Floyd owns his own uh, marketing company too. So just think of how much money he's going to rake in just based off of that too. Right. I mean, so it's it's all Floyd. Now in the bad this week, a name that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Are you and, give me shit right now. Yeah. 
a guy I know that you're a big fan of, and I was a big fan of. <laughs> oh. But how many times? And I, I said this before. How I many chances? Said, I never said off the mat. I said on the mat. All right. I'm just saying that. I'll leave it at that. I'll let you finish. Now, John Bones Jr. or John Bones Jones facing potential battery charge stemming from April strip club incident. <laughs> I did hear about this. And the details are effing hilarious. The girl, the girl said Jones put her in a chokehold, picked her up off the ground and turned her in the air. He also pulled down, <laughs> pulled her down, and kissed her neck, according to police. Additionally, police allege when Jones placed her down by the bar, he smacked the waitress in the genitals and continued to touch her before he left. You know, want to know why I think this is hilarious? Because I can completely see John Bones Jones doing this with his history. Like, this guy just, I, f- I feel like he just thinks that he is untouchable. That no matter what he does, it, it, people will forgive and forget with this guy just because of how talented of an athlete he is. I don't excuse excuse this. Let me You let can't me. excuse you can't excuse anything that he's done. No, no. Between agreed. the drugs, between the P, you know, the POD uh, whatever, the PEDs. And now this. It's one thing after the other. Yeah, no. I, this is definitely crossing the line with John. I I love what he does on the mat in the octagon, uh but when it comes to the all, off the off the field quote unquote stuff to do, this is just it it, it absolutely is getting ridiculous and I think with the UFC getting I say it's getting been. I say getting ridiculous. When it comes to him, yes, it has been. Yeah. When it comes to the UFC, it's getting ridiculous with the crap with um McGregor. McGregor, Jones. It's just UFC needs to put their foot down and yeah. be able to say, even with our biggest stars, this shit don't fly. You gotta draw the line in the sand somewhere. You do. I agree with you. Now, speaking of lines and sands, we're gonna go to the <laughs> we're gonna go to the ugly. You mean the line that's not there? The line that it's, is it's this movable. way and that way. It's up. It's down. It's the left, line's right. kind of like a stock. It's it just goes there, up and down and, and then up it, and down. It fades out and then it's it's there again. It's all over the place. As the NFL decides to not suspend Tyreek Hill, and this has got me all in my feelings. Like, Obviously, here as Ravens fans, we've been through our own situations, you know, with Ray Rice <laughs> and Smith. Ray Rice, and then Jimmy Smith, and I mean, we just had one thing after another here. The Ray Rice situation, obviously, there was video, there was no disputing that it kind of was what it was, and I feel like video has changed the perspective of everything. That if there's video evidence, of course, they're going to react and, re- and react appropriately now, but if there's no video evidence. Things like this happen where Jimmy Smith last year, he gets caught up in some text messages, some, you know, some inappropriate text messages to his girlfriend and gets a suspension. Tyreek Hill is accused of breaking his kid's arm. Well, beyond that, I mean, everything that, you know, he you heard him say on the tape to his girlfriend. And he gets off with nothing. Scott free. I just I don't I don't understand it. It's, don't, it doesn't make sense to me. There's no consistency with this with these rules. Like there needs to be a definitive line drawn. If you are accused of, found guilty of anything allegation wise, there needs to be some sort of line in the sand that says, okay, then that equates to this. It can't be on a case-by-case situation, especially when you compare two situations like this, Jimmy Smith and Tyreek Hill, similar in the sense if you just take the son 
out of it. If you take the abuse out of the son, because there is no evidence, there is no evidence that it was him that did anything to his son and that they say the way he broke his arm looked more from a fall than it did from force. So there's no evidence, even, even as, as much as we all probably think that he did it. The evidence was in the audio clips of how he talked to his girlfriend, which was much more right authoritative than anything Jimmy Sis said in a text message. Well, there were there were also things that were that in that in that whole thing that were said to be sealed and not because it's a child abuse case, potential child abuse case that the NFL can't get their hands on. They're not they're legally not allowed to. Right. It's medical records, HIPAA law, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tag NFL in this because here's why. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The NFL needs to get this shit right. You need to step up, NFL. You need to step up, Roger Goodell, and say, here's the deal. I don't care if it takes two years. I don't care if it takes five years. However long it takes for you to be proven innocent or guilty in the court of law, you were suspended. You were done. You cannot play while you have an open allegation against you. I understand the NFL has the ability to say, okay, we're going to grab. But in this situation, this is a serious accusation. Of course. And while the, the quote evidence is saying that, to your point, the recorded conversation between him and the girlfriend, that is submissible in a court of law. Right. His jury of peers could find him guilty of child abuse and send him away. Now, this is not his first offense. He could send him away for quite a long time. My point is, NFL, you need to get it right. You need to tell these guys, if you are going to do things off the field that are going to put you in a bad media light and cause accusations and allegations that can hold up in the court of law, you're, you're off the field until it's resolved. 100% Period. agree. There is enough talent out there to fill the spot. And now, it's time for the two-minute warning. Do you like my gang signs there? Stay white, white boy. Stay white. <laughs> Billy Ho. I'm going to call you Billy Ho. <laughs> it's time for the two-minute warning. Come on, cut. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Scott. You are on the clock this week for the two-minute warning. You think I can get through all five of these? No. Uh, if you get through all five, I will do a shot. All right. If not, if not, I'll take on one. On air. All right. If not, all I'll right. take one. All right. Scott, your two-minute warning. It starts now. Australian swimmer and Olympic gold medalist Mac Horton on Monday refused to share a podium with Chinese rival Sun Yang. The Chinese. Whom Horton is long accused of being a drug cheat. Horton, who's 23 years old, did not take the medal stand nor acknowledge Sun after they finished second and first, respectively, in the 400-meter freestyle in the 2019 World Olympic or World Aquatic Championships in South Korea. Crazy story. Number one overall pick, Zion Williamson, will not suit up. For Team USA in the summer of this, after all, a person familiar with the decision told USA Today Sports about the withdrawal, and they were actually granted anonymity because they were not authorized to speak publicly about Williamson's plans with the New Orleans Pelicans. Williamson is, in fact, withdrawn from the U.S. basketball's training camp next month, and they no longer can the make New this Orleans happen. The New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, the New Orleans. 
<laughs> New York Jets. That's what I was reading. New York Jets running back Le'Veon Bell took to Instagram Sunday and went at his haters on social media. He blasted them for criticizing his hobbies, including music and basketball. He stated, quote, you think LeBron James is waking up and he ain't having no Taco Tuesdays? Taco Tuesdays. Y'all think he's just hooping all day? Y'all think Beyonce wakes up singing all day? Calm down and grow up, Le'Veon. They're called trolls, just like you, sir. Announced by the Spurs on Monday, retired Spurs center and power forward Tim Duncan is now going to be on head coach Greg Popovich's bench as assistant coach. It was not made clear how significant Duncan's role will be, but Pop's response, it's only fitting after I served loyally for 19 years as Tim Duncan's assistant that he returns the favor. Gotta love you some pop with that comment. (laughs) Seattle Seahawks defensive lineman Jared Reed has been suspended for the first six games of the 2019 season for a violation of the team's personal conduct policy, according to a report from NFL.com. I I was so close. So close, but so far. Yes. Damn it. Pot conduct policy? Where are you going with that, man? (laughs) Bottoms up for you. We can do it in the after hours there. Oh, my goodness. Dad All right, some man. Of the most popular AV receivers, but man, do they know headphones too? These premium headphones sport ear cups made of real zebra wood, an exotic tone wood used on high-end acoustic guitars. This lends the AHD5200s a naturally warm, musical sound. You'll find Denon's free-edge drivers under the hood, a shining example of Japanese headphone engineering. Large dynamic drivers are suspended within a baffle system that lowers resonance. The drivers deliver healthy mids, smooth highs, and tight, potent bass. Just let your ears sink into the plush blended leather padding and enjoy music like never before. All right, guys, we want to remind all of you to check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, check out all of our episodes. Learn about each of us. Contact us. Get yourself from Birdland BS gear. You know, Brian's wearing it right now. I've got it on. He's sporting it over there. We're always wearing it. We love it. Brian cut me off. Big shout out to Carrie and Kaylee for the idea on the two-minute countdown. I know you guys were, <laughs> were big so, fans of that. So. There you go. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> Make sure you visit BigPlay.com and the Big Play Twitter page and download the Big Play app. Again, it's finishing out its makeover. It's looking really good. Follow Birdland BS on all of our social media accounts. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. While you're there, make sure you like, follow, subscribe. You can also hit up Fred at FredBLBS, at ScottBLBS, and at ITBlakeBLBS, all on Twitter. Make sure if you want to have your opinion or topic heard on the show, use the hashtag, that's BLBS. We've been using it. You guys have been starting to use it. As always, be sure to check out the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or any podcast app of your choice. Thanks for tuning in, as always, and we'll be back next Tuesday night at 8.45. You guys know the time. You know the place for good old Fred over here. IT Blake, who can't catch a ball, but maybe he'll catch this. And for me, we'll see you guys next week. We'll see See ya. ya.